because it is every year exciting to go watch uh, now a couple people at Bethel who minister at the uh, Texas State Fair to uh, veterans and go experience that. I'm sure we'll have some pictures and stuff up of that uh, this uh, week on Facebook and and so you can see it. It's just exciting as you watch people who are igniting change. The team yesterday was out uh, doing drive-through prayer. And uh, I like the fact that uh, last month when we had zero, uh, Bill just said, hey, that can't happen again. And just began to uh, call upon the Lord to make sure that uh, if the enemy is withholding uh, people from receiving what the Lord wants them to receive, uh, that that just be removed. So yesterday, people came through for drive-through prayer. Praise the Lord. So I figure after this last week, it would be good for us to do one more sermon in these series of uh, growth series, as uh, um, obviously was a hard week. Uh, if you're not familiar with the losing someone who is, is uh, close to you, losing someone who is a brother in Christ, losing somebody who is um, I don't, intricately involved in everything that Bethel um, has done, uh, is, is tough to walk through. And so I think we need to visit and look at this a little bit um, as we uh, just continue in this, in this dynamic of growth. And if you remember, uh, and if you would say it with me, our, our really our sermon uh, connect over the whole entire series was just this one phrase. Let's see if you do you remember what it was. Right. It's not what you know. It's not what you do. It's what you discover. It's not what you do. It's what you discover. And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, in the first uh, two verses, uh, Peter is, uh, had, in his entire uh, letter, is addressing people who are, uh, they're poor, he's addressing people who are persecuted, and, and with that is a lot of suffering. And so in this first part of chapter 4, he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, let me just stop there just for a moment. I just want to interject this. Here's what he is not saying. He's not saying that if you suffer in the flesh, you're going to sin no more. What he's saying is that every time we suffer, there's a, a dynamic of sin that no longer has power in our life. And this is what you're going to end up discovering as we move through this morning. But I don't want you to get stuck there because so many people do. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of the Lord. Now, if, you're, if, you, have a, if you have your Bibles, you want to mark it, or if you want to mark it in your notes, I really would encourage you to mark those two words, suffered. He uses the word suffered as in Christ, and then suffered in regards to us. Now, there is no part of Jesus that when it came to suffering, he was so super spiritual that he sent down and went, yes. Because nobody likes suffering. Jesus did not like suffering. The reason he struggled so much in the garden before he went to the cross is he knew that he would have to suffer. He suffered not just a physical uh, suffering, but he, he suffered a humiliation. He suffered a ridicule. He suffered a mockery. Uh, and he even suffered death. But he ultimately did all that so we, in the ultimate sense, could eventually escape all suffering and eternally live with him. But here, Peter is writing to people who are in the middle of suffering, where they themselves are experiencing 
pain on a pretty regular basis. And I'm going to really from this moment going forward, I'm going to use suffering and pain just kind of interchangeably uh, today. Because there's nobody in this room that is not familiar already with suffering. There's nobody in this room that just goes and go, I really don't understand what pain is. We all, uh, we all deal with suffering. We all deal with pain, whether it was the pain and suffering of this week or pain and suffering of something totally different. But growth isn't a matter of what you do. It's what you discover. And so it, this morning, we want to really discover the pathway through pain. We want to discover the pathway through pain. Now, pain is dealt with a lot of different ways depending on the culture you're from. There are a lot of areas in the world that encourage strong expression to pain. When you, you actually, the Middle East and, and part of the Mediterranean, they believe that pain needs to be expressed demonstratively, which is why you read in the Bible that literally they hire people to come and, and mourn, scream, and yell with them. Because their expression of pain is very much out there. It's very much in front of others. Then there are other cultures that really say you need to suppress your pain and suffering. You need to, you need to, you need to, you know, kind of suck it up, and you need to really um, be brave and and not even cry. You know, the, it would be akin to a father telling a, a little boy that that scraped his knee, "Don't cry. You don't need to be crying just because you're hurt." There are other cultures that really work hard on hiding their pain. In fact, I would say that humanity as a whole really attempts uh, to the best of their ability to hide their pain and suffering, to put on the smiley face, to be able to walk into a room and say, how are you doing? And say, oh, everything's fine. Everything's great. Everything's dandy. Because again, we tend to hide the things that we don't like or we don't want to deal with it. But then you add in the American culture in this. And, and the American culture, long before the council culture of today, because that's a more recent thing, Americans have been attempting to cancel pain for quite some time. Why do I say that? Well, do you realize that when it comes to physical pain, there are over 300 different kinds of pain medication. And so for whatever pain is ailing you, there's a medication that goes along with it. And of course, when they advertise that medication, they begin to talk really fast about all the side effects of hairy knuckles and bacon body odor and all the different things that go along with that. And then, of course, there's the, the, there's the Christian culture that preaches that God wants you to be wealthy and healthy. And so in that statement, there's no kind of pain and suffering that, that you can re reach some level of spirituality where you have no longer any kind of pain and suffering in your life. Problem is, is that doesn't preach around the world. That is very much a first world gospel. It's not even a gospel message. It's just a first world message. And so what happens is that the Christians end up going through their Christian life thinking because they have pain and suffering that they, they ultimately are less of a Christian. They don't have the, the strength of an arm. Jesus, he said these words. Jesus said that we must pick up our cross and follow him daily. And, and that, that statement is absolutely true. But what the body of Christ never addresses is that there are such people in suffering and pain that they're never healed enough to actually lift a cross and carry it. And so what we ultimately end up having people do is they pick up some form of a cross and they try to carry it even through their pain and suffering because they've never actually discovered a pathway through pain. Now, the other thing that we know about pain is that in, in one respect, pain can be very healthy. 
I, after finding out that I needed a hip replacement, got very lazy in my exercising over the summer. But I, I made a decision that I need to start working out, and specifically, I need to get back doing my, my, all my sit-ups and all the different workouts for my core strength. And whenever I start doing my core strength, do you know what happens the next day? I'm sore. I have pain. Why? Because my physical body, my muscles, have been worked beyond their current capacity. Now get this. The same one who created our muscles has created our soul. And when there is pain that is experienced in our soul, there are times where that is there, not always, but there are times that that is there because our soul has gone beyond its own capacity. Now, some pain complete can be absolutely terrible. Now, when I was in seventh grade, um, I actually was hit by a baseball bat in the side of the head. And I was on first base. Okay, now I got to just say this because some of you are already thinking, no, it was not this side. See, you are, you're already thinking it. Come on now. It was this side. I had no idea. I was reaching out to catch. And the guy that was batting, he thought, man, I could flip my bat in between first and second base and hit the ball before it ever gets to the first baseman. Well, that baseball bat knocked me upside the head and the world went, shh, landed right on my back. Next thing I know, somebody's over my head and they're asking me what my name was and can I put my two fingers together, all these different tests. But let me tell you something. I had a serious headache and I did absolutely nothing, nothing to deserve that kind of pain. It was purely done by the evil that was experienced at home plate. Think about it a little bit this way. There's some pain that comes along just because of evil. Let's take, for example, you're, you're going out of a theater you go out of theater at night, and a guy comes with a black mask on, and he pulls out a knife, and he stabs you in the stomach, and he steals all of your money and all your jewelry, and he leaves you unconscious. What did you do to deserve that? Nothing. And yet, and yet you've got pain, don't you? But then imagine a little different scenario. You walk out of the theater, and you go down to the hospital, and a different guy in a mask comes up to you with a knife and cuts your stomach open, takes all your money, and leaves you unconscious. And what do you do? You still have pain in both cases. But in one case, you end up calling the police. And in the other case, you end up telling all your friends he was the best doctor on the planet. Both cause us to endure Pain. One of, the, one of the areas of pain that, uh, that when we start talking about good pain, I just kind of want to set up for a friend of ours in Arizona. Uh, adult was uh, well in her 40s, working at Home Depot. And over the intercom of Home Depot, uh, they say, Diane, you need to come to the uh, employee's uh, uh, break room. And she goes to the employee's break room, and they say, you have a phone call. And she takes the phone call, and she finds out that her dad has just murdered her mom. Let me tell you about the pain that was inflicted in that moment that was not physical. Now, that wasn't, some would say, well, that's, uh, you know, that's just God trying to teach her a lesson. No, that's evil 
that is inflicted that causes pain. But certainly, even though she did nothing to deserve it, she had the pain, she had the suffering that began to happen, she had the questions, she had the comments. But this is the beautiful thing about Diane's story, is that while evil was thrust upon her life, she found a pathway through pain. And so part of growth is understanding, first and foremost, there is a pathway through pain. Let's, let's break this pain down just a little bit more. I, I want to look at bad pain, and then I want to look at good pain, and then I want to look at grief, because grief is a, is a pain all, in, all into its own. Uh, bad pain is, is not about the source. Uh, it's not about the, the evil. It's about its, its lack of redemptive quality. It's a pain that ultimately has no value. It's, it's really wasted pain. When people, when people deal with wasted pain, they, they, they get pain in their life, and what they do is they curse it. They get mad. And so if you ever know somebody that's just mad at the world, every time you bring something, they just end up getting mad. Clarissa and I have always said it this way. They're mad waiting for a reason. It's because the, the pain that is in their life never brought them through anything. They still live with the pain in close proximity. Then there are those that they, they nurse it. This is, uh, you know, I love, especially boys, you know, a boy, you know, he, he, gets, a, he gets a cut on his leg, you know, he, he, whatever happens, and, and he goes and he runs and he cries to his mom. And his mom takes and, and takes the wound and gets it better, puts a Band-Aid on it. And then what that boy will do is go brag about it to every other boy that he knows. And what happens is, is it goes from being an owie to being a friend. And you may know somebody who's not a child, but their pain is their friend because it causes everyone to either go, ah, or ooh. And so they carry it around. They don't get rid of it. There's no redemptive quality to it. They just live in this perpetual state of pain. And then there's the person that, that uh, they're the kind of person that re rehearses it. They're constantly in their mind going back to, it's, it's the reason that Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2, Die Hard 3, Die Hard 23 keeps selling millions of uh, movie tickets because, because we like it when someone has pain inflicted to them and they've decided now they're going to inflict it back. Do you know there's something actually called a spite house? I would encourage you sometime, Google spite house. N not right now, but Google spite house. A spite house is a house that is built to annoy all the neighbors because they're irritated with the neighbors. And so, and I'm telling you, a person who will, will live in this place of bad pain, they, they just, they are constantly doing things that will make everybody else pay for their pain. And so this bad pain, it can come uh, from, uh, first it can come from avoiding pain. What do I mean by that? Well, in order for pain to be redemptive, it has to be moved through. And there are people in this room who are, who are avoiding conversations in their relationships because they know that it's going to bring pain. And so they avoid it. They don't step into it. They don't cause it. They just, they just act like everything's okay. It's the, it's the, 
it's it's the it's a pain that there can be a pain that is a codependent kind of pain. It's it's the person who needs the approval of the people around them so much that they ultimately get used time and time and time again. There's pain that is is directly related to addictions. It doesn't get moved through. The addictive behavior continues. There's there's pain and suffering associated from not disconnecting from the pain that is passed on from a parent. The Bible calls that generational curses. The the dad's an alcoholic who's abusive, so the son becomes an alcoholic that's that's abusive. And, and because there's no desire to work through the pain of getting rid of it. It's one of the beautiful things to me as I, as I wrote uh, about Andy for Thursday was the fact that, listen, overcoming addiction requires pain. It's not easy. But what he did to overcome the pain is he started writing in the book of Genesis and he kept writing until it ultimately got written, wrote the entire Bible on paper. That's painful. I've tried to rewrite a few uh, books of the Bible, Hebrews, Galatians, and man, I can get about a chapter and a half done. My fingers are about done. I'd just rather talk it or type it into the computer. But you know, there's also bad pain that people live in because they just do nothing but isolate themselves. They hide behind this idea that life is, everything is okay. They just post the good things on Facebook so everybody thinks they're fine, but ultimately all they're doing is they're isolating themselves because they don't want to get into the reality of painful relationships. Listen, if you're new to coming to church, listen, come to church, be offended. Someone's going to offend you. If I haven't done it yet, give, give it a little more time. I'll do it or somebody else will do it. But there are people that they live with this pain of unforgiveness when they get insulted. And so, and listen, I could go on and on and on and on and on with this list. But ultimately what this, what bad pain does is is if redemption, and we'll get talking about redemption here in a minute, but ultimately uh, bad pain is, if, if this is the pain and we've come up to the pain, all it is is a warning bell that's going off. It's, it's the wake-up call that keeps coming. And if the wake-up call keeps coming and you don't actually deal with it, you're just going to sleep through every wake-up call that comes through pain because you're living with bad pain. And that's really not where the Lord wants us. The Lord wants us to, to experience good pain. And it's not that the pain is good. But what makes it good pain is that on the other side of pain is redemption. On the other side of pain is life. The reason Jesus went to the cross is is if this was the pain, he went through all the pain of the cross because he understood that on the other side of the pain, this is where everything comes together and is made right. The only way that we will uh, uh, experience everything being all right is to understand and know the suffering that Jesus went through. And when we understand the suffering and the reason he went through that suffering, I'm then accepting all of the bad pain that I have caused in my life and saying, Jesus, you took all of that pain on yourself so I can come on the other side with you. That's redemptive or good pain. It's, it's, it's what happens in this good pain. Notice what uh, Peter said. He goes, so as to live 
for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. What happens? Every time, regardless of how the pain comes, when we experience pain and we move through it, now our perspectives are different. Now the way we view things are no longer the same. Now we begin to say, well, as Diane did, I can forgive my father. She visits her, her, her father in, the, in prison. Because even though she experienced the pain, she experienced the freedom of good pain by allowing herself to move through and to break through that specific pain. And so for us, in some ways, some of us, uh, it, means, it means reaching out from a vulnerable heart. Listen, I, I went home after last Sunday and internally, I struggled. I struggled with the things I said because I was so incredibly vulnerable. I wasn't going to hide the things that had entered into my heart from Saturday. The same thing happened after Thursday. Uh, anytime you put yourself out there and you're vulnerable, do you know pain could come? Sometimes that pain is just from our own experiences and wrong kind of thought processes. But sometimes people say things, and 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 so and so we we experience that pain. But what happens when we're vulnerable is there's something beautiful because we've broken through that pain to the other side. It's, it's, it's saying that I'm willing to confess my sin, to confess my faults to, to one another. It's not, I'm not going to choose to live in isolation. I'm going to break through the shame. I'm going to break through the guilt and make the pain good because I'm going to break through to live on the other side. Say amen if you got that. These are choices that we ultimately have to make. We have to choose whether our pain is going to be good, going to be bad. For some of you, it, it's, it's the taking risk. You, you've, you've created this, this comfortable life. The idea of financially risking something, the idea of relationally risking something, the idea of risking whatever, ministry, whatever it might be, you, you've, you've insulated yourself and you're, you're experiencing the pain of, of the lack of joy because you're not willing to break through. So the Lord says, break through. Nothing's more difficult than taking risks in relationships. You choose, you choose to be more honest. You choose to, to be more confrontational. I'm going to let, let that sink in just for a minute, because if you love somebody, you're not going to just let them continue to step on you. Not going to let them continue to, to do things that are harmful to them and to harmful to other people. So you take a risk. But when you when you when you choose to deal with pain in a good way and make it good pain, then you learn to forgive. You learn to uh, to to reconcile. All of a sudden, you you look for opportunities to ask for forgiveness. And so these are pains that that, that we ultimately have to break through. Now let me talk just for a minute about grief. Grief is a, is a, is a pain um, all by itself. Uh, grief is, is really God's cure for what isn't right. I want you to write that down. Grief is God's cure for what isn't right. Grief is absolutely the toughest pain that we have to deal with. Now, while grief um, can easily be um, a loss of a loved one, 
And that's where we most associate with grief. But it's not limited to the loss of someone. If you survey your life and you think about the things, the opportunities, the plans, the relationships that you've lost, there's grief there. Because grief is a pain that is saying that this is not right. Now, what makes grief different than good pain? With good pain, we have to break through it. With with good pain, we have to look and say, this is going to be painful, but I'm going to move beyond it because there's redemptive work on the other side. Grief is a pain that we step into. Grief's a pain that we step into. It's, 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 it's here it's where now where we're able to let go of the things that are not right. Here's what, here's what Ecclesiastes says. It says in chapter 7, it says, Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. Now, if that doesn't seem countercultural to you, then uh, I listen, I, I get it. But there was understanding here. It goes on and says, after all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For sadness has a refining influence on us. So when we look at a loss, whatever the loss is, and we, we intuitively, you may not have this question that just comes to the forefront, this, but this is just the way it works, is you look and say, here's something that isn't right. It shouldn't be this way. And now, now, you can begin in the midst of grief to allow the healing power of God to manifest itself in us. But it starts with this, this place of reality. It's, it's gone. It's done. Death of a loved one, death of a dream, death of a plan. You again, go on and on and on. And what happens from that, here's what happens with all of us. We protest it. We say, it's not right. This is, there's just, there's, this, this should have happened, that should have happened, whatever it is, and we begin to protest it. And then, and then when all of our protests are out there in the middle of the grief, then we begin to despair. Or we begin to have depression. All this is, is this is not a lack of spirituality. You've stepped in the middle of grief. And now you're coming to grips with the reality of the loss. And you are, this is the first step, get this, this is the first step to admitting that it's gone. Right there. So this, the, 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 the writer of Ecclesiastes understood that the moment we get to the place where we admit that something is gone, now, now I can, I can live in this sadness. I can live in this loss. And now I can say goodbye. Now I can let go. Now I can begin to move on. And what's so interesting about grief, grief is not something you break through. It's something you walk through. But when you walk through grief, you get to the other side of that grief. And what you find is resolution and resurrection. And the resolution and resurrection is you are now, it's not that you've forgotten. 
But now because you've resolved it in your heart, now God has come and he's done a healing thing in our hearts. He's done, he's begun to work in our soul in such a way to where now the emotions don't have the power that they once have. And now you're able to, to step forward and go, wait a minute, there are new things that are now available. Because now God begins to resurrect new life. Now you begin to see things. So if you're here today and, and, you, and you die, your dream died years ago, okay, you've gone through the grieving part now, you've gone through the sadness, but now know that the Lord has new life for you. So you begin to look for it. You begin to say, okay, God, new things are becoming available. And so when it comes to grief, we have to understand that grief reminds us that everything's not okay, but God by his spirit is going to bring new life. And so Jesus, being well acquainted, the Bible says, with grief, he stepped into it. But there was the third day. And there's going to be a new day for our grief as well. So what's the model here? Or what's the, what's the really go piece here? Let's just kind of just put this in practical terms. The first is that Peter says it has to do with a model. He says to arm yourselves with the same, the same way of thinking as Jesus. That's what he says. So here's, here's what uh, Peter is ultimately saying, is that here is the, uh, here's the pathway that is required for us to, to either break through or walk through any kind of pain. If we're break, breaking through to good pain, with good pain, or we're, break, or we're walking through in grief, here's the, here's it. So he does, he does a very interesting thing here. He uses what we translate the word is the word um, arm. It's a military term, but it's a specific military term here. He, he's really referring to a foot soldier that has a pike and a shield. The pike was, if you've ever seen uh, the, uh, the, the medieval movies where they, they're running down with the horses and all the line takes a big old pole and they stick it out. It's like 12 feet long. Okay, that's a pike. Because when it, when it comes to the good kind of pain, you've got to make sure that there's something sharp out in front of you. And the, the word of God is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, the Bible says in Hebrews. And when you take that out and you, you let that go first, that's what will allow you to break through the good pain. But then there's the shield. The shield is all about proximity. The shield is not meant for far off. The shield allows us to walk into, it allows us to walk in the middle of grief. Because it's in the middle of that grief that arrows can come, but it's blocked. But here's the greater thing, is that we have been given something that is going to be close and protective in the middle of the grief that we have chose to step in the middle of. And so if, if that's you, listen, keep the word of God close. Know that the spirit is there protecting. And that was the, ultimately the model that we get in Jesus's thinking, his attitude. But, Here's the thing, it was never intended to be done alone. And this, this is the, the one break that I have about the American culture today is we think 
that we can do it all alone. And we were never intended to break through or walk through any kind of pain alone. So while we have the model of Jesus, we also need a mentor. We need, we need someone who's walking. And I, I think it's fair to ask these questions. Who's walking with you to redeem the pain that the Lord is desiring you to break through? Another way to, to ask this question is, who are you walking with to help walk through and break through the pain? Who's walking with you in the middle of your grief? Who's, who are you walking with while they're in the middle of their grief? It's in these places that when we, when we have someone or we're with someone, that healing can come so we can fulfill the words that Jesus said is to pick up our cross and to follow him because healing will come. And believe me, this is where it, at the, the core of my being as the pastor of Bethel, uh, our life groups become so critically important because it's here that we do life together. It's here where we have people around us that will help us redeem the pain that we've experienced in life. Because ultimately, the goal is maturity. And maturity is, it's found on the other side of the pain. Here's, here's ultimately what Peter is saying. He's saying that when we experience pain, whether it's good pain or it's grief, what it's going to do, it's going to untangle you from the things that are holding you down in this world. You're going, to, you're going to survey your life. You're going to survey your situation. You're going to survey your goals. You're going to survey everything you think that you're on this earth to do, and you're going to reevaluate them. And you're going to have yourself be way more heavenly-minded than you are earthly-minded. That is how God intends for pain and grief to be used. Because we come over on the other side, and we, and we look around at other people who are stuck behind bad pain or they're not getting through the grief and we can say, come, follow me. I will lead you through that. I will walk you through that. And, and you will discover that there is a pathway through your pain. And I kind of felt like this is, this is where the Lord wanted us to finish up this morning. We have some time, but I, I want to, here in a moment, I'm going to give opportunity to come for prayer. Uh, we're not going to pray that all your pain's taken away. We're going to pray that the Lord will give you what you need to break through good pain. We're going to pray that God will help you recognize who he's placed around your life to help you break through good pain. We're going to pray that God will walk with you through grief, that God will place people around you to walk with you through grief. None of these are easy because pain's involved. You've heard me say this before. I say it jokingly. I'm a firm believer that no pain means no pain. That's my belief. But there are just some things in life that are painful, and we were not meant to go through it alone. Now, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying this prophetically. I'm just saying this out of reality of life and relationships. There are some of you here that the pain that the Lord wants you to break through 
is significantly longer than a week old. Some of your pain, you've been stuck in that perpetual bad pain for way too long. And the Lord says, is, is saying, you need to take courage in your heart to get through that. So some redemptive quality can come out of all this bad stuff. And it's to stop sitting on this side trying to insulate yourself from pain. But God's not going to just shove you into it. He's going he's to connect somebody with you to walk through you with it. So that ultimately, he might resurrect and do something beautiful in your life. Would you stand with me? Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you are a God that, that knows that this world is, is always bringing pain at one level or another. But God, your desire is that, Lord, we, we move through pain and we discover that there is a pathway through the, the pain that we have, have had out in front of us uh, uh, recently or a long time ago. And Lord, uh, you also, Lord, are a God that recognizes that, that grief uh, is also a kind of pain. But Lord God, that's a pain that heals all other pains. And we believe, oh God, that your healing power and virtue and grief is a very real and significant thing. And Lord, we want, to, we want to bring our pain to you this morning so that, Lord, we might get to the other side of it. And so here in a moment, if you're here this morning and, and, and you say, I have pain that I need to, I need to get past, why don't you just raise your hand? Say, that's me. I, need, I got pain I need to get past. Yeah, hands are up all over. This is, again, this is not a surprise. All right, they're going to begin to they're going to begin to play "Take Courage, My Heart." And when they begin, when they right when they begin to sing that song, choose to step into it. Now, this is an action. You're, you, if you you can sit in your chairs, you can sit and sit where you're at and just isolate yourself. But you're staying on the wrong side of pain. You're just living with bad pain, with no redemptive quality, no value. But the moment you say, "I'm going to step to the front," you are declaring by faith that his pathway through pain is right and true, and you're going to choose to walk it. Now, does it mean all, you're going to leave here with all problems? No, but you're going to leave here encouraged in your heart. You're going to leave here with, with uh, some, some words of faith that are going to allow you to get to the other side of that pain where you can see the redemptive quality that can only come through Jesus Christ and him alone. So as they begin to sing, I want you to come. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.